Being the Worst, Episode 25, recorded Thursday, February 7th, 2013. From beingtheworst.com, it's the Being the Worst podcast, audio apprenticeships for the aspiring software craftsman, with your hosts, Carrie Street and Renat Abdulik. In this episode, Carrie and Renat discuss changes to the ubiquitous language, the characteristics of lists and projects, and lessons learned from using a similar productivity system. In between, they probably talk too much about some variable names and system implementation details. And now, here are Carrie and Renat. Well, Renat, it's episode 25. We made it to 25. All right, so I guess we're going to keep this thing going. That's a good sign to me. I think this time we're going to talk about what? More code and all the changes that you made and I made in the last few days and uh, maybe explain to people what the heck's going on in here. Yep. Well, the reasoning behind renaming and some of the goodness that we'll keep on adding to the project to get it closer to the like ideal perspective we have in mind. Yep. Of something that can be used to manage your actions, to manage all the stuff that goes in your inbox, the thoughts that you capture, and to make sure that this thing is trusted, is reliable, and is accessible for multiple devices. Yeah, that sounds great. As I mentioned, I've been looking at some of the David Allen videos that he did at Google and other places online, and it's interesting to check out the book, hear how he's talking about it, and then having the interactive console where you can actually imagine yourself what would I want to type in here that makes sense? And what am I trying to do? And you start seeing how, oh, yeah, I think we're going to do a few more spins on this domain language for a while until like that console starts feeling really natural. Like, hey, if I had no other user interface, this could be pretty good. So mm-hmm. it's good. All right, well, where did you want to start? Okay, maybe let's start with the console and then move to the words. Okay. Because the console actually raises up the questions of the wording. Okay. Okay, uh, so one thing you might want to do, since there was quite a bit of renaming in the commands and events, Mm-hmm. So that's uh, check out the branch E25 that will be uh, available when the podcast is published. Currently, mm-hmm. just go for the master. Mm-hmm. And make sure that you delete event store files. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I found that out. Uh, I didn't see your email the other day when I made all those changes and it was like crashing on something. I'm like, what's going on here? And I'm like, oh, the types. I go, I just got an example of how you break portability. And so, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Technically, we could have, like, if we were really interested in making sure that renaming uh, message classes or uh, like changing them doesn't break the existing data storages, we could take a few extra steps, for instance, as freezing the contract names or uh, defining new types of commands and events and keeping the old ones for the backwards compatibility. But for now, since we're developing, we don't really care and we just wipe the storage. Yep. And so, guys, that's in the gtd.com console uh, subdirectory of the project, go into the bin directory, debug, and your .dat files, You, uh, if you've been following along with us, those are still going to be in there. And uh, when you try to run the new messages, uh, Visual Studio just kind of says, hey, what are you talking about? That doesn't exist. And I, that happened to me the other day. And uh, I yep. had to f- figure that out the hard way. Um, cool. So that, all right, those are gone. And let me fire this guy back up. And I uh, just launched the gtd.shell project of our latest code. Mm-hmm. Okay, for a start, the, the thing that you can do is ask for help. Mm-hmm. So uh, one of the things I've added was making sure that each command can be uh, aligned with multiple aliases. Mm-hmm. This way, for instance, when I, every time I was typing capture thought, capture thought, capture, mm-hmm. uh, that was kind of cumbersome. Mm-hmm. So I decided to be able to add like shortcuts. So for instance, capture is currently an alias for C. Yes, I see that. That was a nice touch. I really did like that. Then you can say, look, dude, I like the short words. Go ahead and add 50 other aliases in there if you really want to. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's good. I like it. <laughs> and uh, actually, uh, here, the current, uh, like this command, mm-hmm. console prompt, it's really aligned with the core domain. So it resides within the body context of the actual, uh, like within which the core domain resides. So the language that we have in the console commands, it should actually be aligned with the concepts of the, uh, with the ubiquitous language of the, our version of GTD that we adopt mm-hmm. and be aligned with the, all the command and event classes. Yeah, I think that's generally true with everything I'm looking at in the console, except for one potential standout that may be more uh, of a word that makes sense mm-hmm. to our interpretation versus what you actually see in GTD, and that would be, okay. I'm assuming archive might mean trash? Yes. Or I guess it could be done as well. What what does it really mean? Okay, uh, so uh, 
archive and capture. Like these are steps are related to capturing your thoughts mm -hmm. uh, in the inbox. Mm -hmm. And well, currently the word is tenant, so one tenant have one inbox, and the person has one inbox. And as I am running around, as I'm getting all these ideas, or if I'm doing the mind sweep, trying to get all the thoughts out of my brain, I'm dumping them into the inbox. Yes. And the term David Allen uses it will like capture thoughts. Yes. So we capture thoughts into the inbox. Uh, then uh, as we process these thoughts, as we get time to process the inbox, for instance, during the weekly review, we can like go for each of the thoughts. And for instance, we can uh, delegate it to somebody as an action. We can define a new project. We can define a new action for a project. Or we can simply trash it. Yes. So probably the like exact word would be trash mm -hmm. thought, but it doesn't look, like uh, look good. And since we're talking about the trusted system, since we're talking about the event sourcing, like even if we're deleting uh, something, technically it will never be deleted yeah, unless yeah. it's wet. Yeah, so, I thought uh, that I was, might be yeah. a byproduct of because we're using event sourcing and we sort of know in the back of our minds that we're trash sort of implies delete and we're not really deleting anything. So yeah, yeah. So okay. maybe there is a better word to archive. Who knows? We'll figure it out, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. I just wanted to make sure. And so uh, in this context, though, the way it's designed right now, would you say that archive is trash and something else means it's done? Like, do they effectively mean the same thing? We don't actually, like, when you're processing thoughts from the inbox, you can't mark a thought as done. A thought is not an action. It's simply a thought. So mm -hmm. you can maybe dismiss it. Oh, I see. Okay, so in our current in the current state of the commands and the workflow process, we haven't gotten to uh, classifying if this is actionable or anything yet. Oh yeah. Uh, so action. So uh, actions they can be defined later, mm -hmm. but in your inbox you don't have actions. Right. Okay. Got it. thoughts. Okay. And uh, actually, like one uh, more reason why I chose archive, it's like for instance in Gmail you have this inbox, and then you you usually archive stuff, mark the stuff as read. Okay. I see. So basically, it still stays in the inbox, and you get this warm, fuzzy feeling that your email is always there for you. I see. Okay. So maybe archive is decent fit. Maybe it can be replaced with something else. Currently, it's not the worst and the most standing out word in the domain that we have. <laughs> All right. Okay. So uh, currently, in this current implementation, we have ability to capture thoughts, mm -hmm. uh, putting them into the inbox, and then uh, ability to archive thoughts. In essence, removing them from the inbox. Yes. And here, like when we capture thought, a thought is given a unique uh, GUID identity. Mm -hmm. And this way, how we interact with the console. So if we have something captured, we can view the inbox by typing. Okay, there is a typo. Uh, it says iBox. It should say inbox. Okay. So by typing in, for instance, uh, mm -hmm. you, uh, you should be able to see the inbox. Capture. Yep. Oops. Trusted capture system home. not defined. <laughs> uh, just capture something. Yeah, capture, capture, record episode 25. Mm -hmm. And then type in mm. as a shortcut for inbox. I like your touch of thought captured safely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. All right, yep. And I've got my uh, item that I just added to my inbox is with a three-digit code in front of it. Uh, so this three-digit code, in essence, just the beginning of GUID. Mm -hmm. So, uh, like, when we need to interact with the, with the console, we need somehow to tell the console, like, which uh, item do we want to delete, for instance, or which a thought do we want to kind of to use to define a new project. Yes. And one idea was to have uh, incremental IDs to each of the uh, record, mm -hmm. but then would might have some slightly complicated situation around merging in occasional connected systems. So basically, so, uh, I'm, I'm not, I haven't used goods too much, but is, is the first three digits in our universe probably almost always going to be different? They will be mostly different. Mm -hmm. Later, we can mark, like add more, uh, display more digits of the good. So when you're typing, for instance, archive or mm -hmm. AT, you need to provide a parameter. I see. Uh, the second parameter is ID of the thought to archive. And you need to provide as many digits, as many numbers from the GUI as enough to uniquely identify the thought. So, for instance, in this like uh, three-digit key, since you have only one thought and uh, like the first letter is unique, mm -hmm. you, you, uh, you can type AT and then first letter of the GUID. Oh, so it's not even, it's literally just as much as, you don't need all three, that's cool. Yes. So, I want to try to archive it now then. 
as many uh, as many digits as you need to uniquely identify. Okay, so I should be able to type A space three. AT. Oh, AT. Archived. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Okay, so I'm assuming now if I type inbox, there will be nothing in there. Exactly. And zero records. Cool. Yep. Working. Okay, and uh, one more action that I've added recently. It's uh, define a project. Mm-hmm. And then see a list of projects. So uh, you type something DP or project. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the project is something that will require multiple actions, multiple steps yes. to be completed. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually like when we're thinking about something, and for instance, we have a problem in our heads. So usually what GTD helps us to do is we don't think about the problems. We could think about the projects. So the problem is something that can be solved in multiple steps. And the project is, is this thing. Yes. And usually when we're defining the project, we don't even necessarily need to like write the entire list of actions that might be needed to uh, complete this project because we might not always know what needs to be done two days from now. And the projects, they can last one day, they can last months, they can last years. Yes. And the idea in the project is that for each project, you would have at least one next action. So when you come back to the project, if you have some time or if it's possible, you immediately know what can be done to move the project one step forward. Mm-hmm. So the, like, the next action in the project is kind of like a reminder or command in the queue. Uh, so you can define a project by typing right now DP mm-hmm. and something like prepare episode. Yeah, edit backlog yeah. of episodes. <laughs> yeah, something like this. Yeah, okay. And I think the command is ls list. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. So it will uh, display all available projects. I see. Okay, cool. Yeah, so let me, I'm going to define one other one just to see. Define project uh, win lottery. Oh, good luck with that. Yeah, thank you. All right, let's see ls. Yep, got a list of both projects, and they also have the three-digit uh, beginning of the, their GUID. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. And I'm assuming okay. there's probably a way to associate actions with projects. Not yet, but okay. that's uh, easily uh, can be easily added because once we have the infrastructure in place, now we can ev- evolve the domain model and just plug the functionality into the console. That's uh, relatively easy. Uh, so here comes the first question, the, the first concern I had in mind. Mm-hmm. And we were talking a little bit about that over the email, but uh, it would feel good to talk about that stuff. Okay. So uh, we have the concept of projects. Yes. And when David Allen talks about this stuff, he usually refers to the project as something that exists in the real world. And we capture the project, we represent the project in our trusted system by lists. So you add next action to your list, which is associated with the project. And technically, and that's the really good feature of OmniFocus, they have actually three types of lists. They have like one action lists, they have sequential lists, and they have parallel lists. Well, they call them projects, but like not all lists, uh, not all projects in their case are projects. And what these different types of uh, lists mean is that it helps to filter your system, like to run kind of predefined queries against your system. Mm-hmm. So if you have a, a project, like a sequential project, mm-hmm. where the next action can't be completed before the previous one is done. Yes. So uh, when you run a query, show me next available actions that I can do in each project. Mm-hmm. Like the system will know that uh, for this project, it has to only to pick uh, the top action. I see. If we have a list, like simple to-do list, maybe something like called miscellaneous or shopping, then if we run a query across the system asking like, what is the next that I can do in the uh, grocery store? Then it will present all actions from your, like for instance, shopping list. Mm-hmm. And if there are parallel actions, I think it will present, if you're asking for available actions, it will present all actions from the project. If you're asking for only one next action, it will present only one action. So in essence, we have different types of lists that can uh, be represented to capture different natures of the projects that they have in the real world. Okay, that makes sense. So when uh, David Allen talks about this uh, area, as I understood, he uses lists like uh, the concept in his system is a list, which and some of the lists are used to model projects. Yes, he uses, my understanding was that 
it's mainly all about lists and that projects are just things that you've defined what the outcome is for it. You know, a project and outcome are almost seem like they're almost seem like synonyms almost. And once you know the label of that outcome that you're trying to achieve, it's also assumed that if you've bothered to do that, it has more than one action to get done. Mm-hmm. And then the other concept that he mentioned in relation to list, because he, he talks a lot about having several next action lists. Mm-hmm. And on those lists, he I was just getting to the part where he's talking about you might want to categorize them by, you know, I need to be on the phone or whatever, context. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I, totally. when you find yourself using OmniFocus, and do you have to really think about, you know, every single action picking, is it one item sequential parallel and you hit icons or something? Or what are you doing? Uh, yes. Okay. So when I'm working with OmniFocus, and uh, how I would like to be working. So uh, when I'm looking at my world, I kind of like define areas of responsibility. Mm-hmm. For instance, my home, work, uh, being the worst podcast, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. And these areas of responsibility, they like are really thirty thousand feet view, as we call it. Mm-hmm. It's just a way to structure to split our life into. I'd say large bounded contexts. Yep, agreed. And then within each uh, bounded context, I might have multiple uh, projects. Mm-hmm. Currently, in this console system, we don't have the uh, way to define this large bounded context, but uh, we'll get there. It's relatively uh, easy. Okay. So uh, within each bounded context, within each area of responsibility, I can have multiple projects. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, within uh, being the worst podcast, I can have project like record episode twenty five, record episode twenty six. And, uh, for instance, in record episode 25, the next action would be uh, make sure to add branch pointer that can be used by Kerry when he publishes the episode. Mm-hmm. Okay? And actually, like, this thing that I have that represents the next action in, of my project, it can be defined as sequential, it can be defined as parallel, or it, it can be defined as simple, like, list of things. So, uh, in OmniFocus, these are different types of the project where you can mark the checkbox. And then uh, when I'm defining a next action, I can also associate a context with it. And a context means something, for instance, some resource that is needed to accomplish this next action. And this resource, it just helps to query my system in a slightly different way. For instance, in some of the projects, I can have actions related to calling somebody. And so uh, I will mark them with phone. And then, for instance, when I'm running around and I have my iPhone with me, and I would have a shortcut called perspective, or it's like a query or a view, mm-hmm. uh, which would say, like, show all things that I can do right now with the phone. Mm-hmm. So if I had 10 spare minutes and I'm, for instance, in a shop waiting for somebody and I have, like, I can do something. I can move on with my project forward. So uh, I will ask for the, what's the next stuff that can be done with the phone, and it will uh, give me that. That's perhaps one of the slight indication that you might have a girlfriend if you're using an example of sitting in a shop waiting for someone. <laughs> uh, potentially or having a real long queue. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. And so uh, my suggestion would be to try to keep the domain language of uh, our understanding of methodology clear and make sure that the stuff that we have in the system, these are lists. And these lists, uh, they can be linked to real-world projects which are captured and tra- like, uh, which are defined, which are brainstormed somewhere else. And in our system, in our trusted system, we only keep stuff that is related to finding the next action that can be done, doing stuff that can be uh, done to move projects forward. So, I mean, that sounds good and sounds right. What is our potential dilemma? Uh, no, basically, I'm just suggesting. To, oh. uh, so by, by default, I was sticking to terminology used by OmniFocus, and I'm just suggesting to use instead of like the term projects, use term lists. Oh, I see. Um, hmm. Well, even when I'm reading the the book um, in a different context, it almost seemed like he was using the concept of a project as almost like a tag on a specific action. Like you could almost multiple tag. Like let's say I define an oh, action yes. called. Uh, be a better person. <laughs> and uh, that f- spans three bounded contexts of uh, whatever. There might be th- three projects that I think I could do specific actions in that would result in the outcome of me being a better person. And so mm-hmm. I might want to tag that one action like, uh, I don't know. With multiple projects? Yeah, learn well, stuff. I don't know. Like, wh- I don't know how categories and projects and finding stuff with projections, you know, how we're actually going to do that. <laughs> well, uh, first of all, 
one thing I've learned, and I uh, kind of learned it hard way by failing to use OmniFocus in the beginning, mm-hmm. you don't really use getting things done the system to plan your projects. You don't really use the system to like think how the project should be done. It's merely a task list, a list of actions. It's a list of reminders that you continuously dump, and you can think about it as a queue topology or a message bus mm-hmm. for yourself. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's a, it's a collection of queues where if you have some time, you can uh, look at the related queue and pick the next action from the top of the queue. Do it without worrying too much because the, the action in the queue has already all the uh, context and information related that has to be there in order to uh, accomplish it. And then after you've done, you pick the next action, action from the queue. Mm-hmm. Like really geeky concept. So it sounds like internally the implementation is just a bunch of lists, but when in my views, I'll probably still going to have a view called show me my projects, right? No. Uh, the, the idea here was, like, do we use the term project or list in the core language, in the ubiquitous language? Mm. Well, if a list is just a bunch of actions... Um, well, when I think of list right now, because of mm-hmm. what I just read today, I see various lists that have uh, next actions all over them, and I might mm-hmm. want to call those lists different things. Mm-hmm. And when I was going to assign a label to those different lists, I don't think I'd want to call it a list. I guess I would call it a project. Or Okay, okay. But I don't know. Like I don't use OmniFocus, and if you if you found a better way to do it, you know? Uh, no, it uh, was merely a thought, uh, maybe trying to be too purist and to f- identify the subtle difference. Mm-hmm. But like, if the difference is so subtle that uh, it doesn't make a lot of the change, the difference doesn't make a lot of sense for us uh, both, so then it's not worth uh, even going into the code. Currently, yeah, the maybe. decision could be, uh, okay, let's live with the projects and we'll have multiple types of the projects based on their nature and we'll see how it works. Help me understand what you mean by multiple types of projects based on their nature. Because my reading of the book was just like a project's almost just like a label. It doesn't actually do much. Uh, yes. Uh, so uh, this kind of partially refers to the implementation side. Mm. Uh, because if you mark a certain type of the project, uh, like mark a certain nature of the project, mm-hmm. for example, as being sequential or as being parallel uh. or as being simple to-do list, then this would allow to predefine certain perspectives in the system, certain filters that would take this explicit nature into the consideration and simplify some decision-making for you. I see. Okay. Okay. For instance, it can be this subtle decision of the type of project can be used to prioritize the next actions. Mm-hmm. Maybe a project is like, go on a trip to Italy... Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a bunch of stuff I need to do, so I'm throwing a bunch of actions in there. And so in OmniFocus, or what you would think we're going to do, like if I'm planning a trip to Italy, there's probably certain actions that I would have to do before others, and then maybe certain other actions I could do in parallel. And like, I, am I going to define that on each specific action? I would say, well, I need to call the travel agent at some point, but I need to ask these five people in parallel if they want to go or whatever. Like, Is that what you do? I would actually like keep the plan. It can be a mind map or uh, a text file mm-hmm. that gives me a really wide picture of like the entire set of stuff that has been done, mm-hmm. like in a non in a non structured way mm-hmm. in a document. Mm-hmm. For instance, it can be in Evernote, and in uh, the project, I will have the link to that uh, document. Uh-huh. So when I click on the project, it will pop up the actual like big picture, maybe some words, some diagrams. And then in my getting things done, in my OmniFocus project, I will keep only the next action that can be done so that when I come back, I don't need to go to directly to the document mm. to try to figure out what the next action would be. I can go and uh, do that action. Okay, I think I'm getting understanding a little bit better what you were talking about earlier, which was really having the thought was have this particular GTD implementation really only care about literally what the next action is and all the other ones don't matter right now at all, really. Yes, and that's what actually uh, David Allen was suggesting as well. Okay. So okay. Uh, you, do, you literally define the next action in a project. And for instance, if you have the project that would require, I don't know, 10 five-minute actions, mm-hmm. uh, you wouldn't define like all 10 of them. 
Can do, uh, def- yeah, go ahead. But like in, in the example I was using, let's say, you know, because I'm trying to clear my mind and keep it mind like water, right? So I, I just thought of this thing called go to Italy. And off the top of my head, I just threw in five things into my inbox that could be related to that trip. And only one of those five things is going to be the next action. So when I'm processing my inbox, what do I do with those other four things that are not the next action right now? Okay, uh, the first step is like, okay, I see that this stuff is related to the uh, one trip to the Italy. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's definitely, a, we can define a new project, uh, child to Italy. Mm-hmm. Then uh, in some place else, like that can be linked to this system, I open my Word file because mm-hmm. that's natural way to think. Mm-hmm. And I start capturing these thoughts and dumping into this bullet point list. Mm-hmm. And then I might rearrange them. I might, some, I might add some uh, actions. I might some, add some notes. I might add some information that cannot even be represented as a structured list. Some maybe some drawing, some images, some diagrams. So uh, in, the, in this example, when you're processing your inbox, you would leave the next action in our system and then dump the other four in Word and, and then archive them. Yes, uh, and uh, like this document would be a reference document. And I then, see. so uh, when I get back, when I can do something about the Italy, I do the next action. And then while I'm doing the next action, I will partially remember the context. I might uh, look back to this Word document, uh, see what what is related stuff. And then after I finish doing the action, before I leave the project, uh, what I would do is uh, to take a look at this uh, entire document while it's still fresh in my mind Mm -hmm. and pick the next action that can be done. I see. And while actually while uh, working on this project, maybe I will be able to flash, I don't know, like three or four bullet points or concepts from this word list so i will not even bother about listing them in the in the getting things getting things done system because like they're fresh on the mind i'm just cross this cross this or actually cross this in the upper right corner etc etc i see and, and then, it uh, sounds like that's what you that's actually what you do right now in omnifocus and found it to be a productive way to do it right yes i see that does make a lot of sense because i think what that'll end up doing is it keeps you from building these giant, you have 300 projects with 70 actions in each one of them and it takes forever to read them and you know you can get overwhelming potential next actions and without ever picking the next one. <laughs> uh, absolutely. And yeah. also, like, well, I can have multiple projects, lots of them, because I might have multiple ideas, multiple directions, although not all projects might even uh, be continued. Some of them can be discarded, dropped, etc. However, I know when I'm starting a project, it's highly unlikely, almost impossible, that I'll be able to plan the entire course of uh, the actions to the end. So each project is, uh, and most of the projects are like journeys. So I know where to put, to put uh, the next step. If I get back to the journey, I know where I would know where I stopped. I know where I stopped because I leave myself a reminder, a direct instruction saying, "Okay, here's what you do when you want to continue this journey." I see. Then I get back to working on that project. I do a journey. I do multiple steps. Maybe I update my uh, document that is sitting someplace else and is synchronized. And then after I've checked like a few places, I update the document or the, the, like the project can be represented in multiple ways depending on how I think. And then before I leave the journey, I just put a marker there saying, okay, here's the next thing that you can do. Mm-hmm. Or if there are like three distinct uh, markers, for instance, okay, uh, at this point, I can do three things. I can call a friend, then I can check out the latest code from this project, and I can also uh, write a comment on this blog post. And each of these steps, uh, each of these three actions, they can be done separately, and they will help me to move on on uh, on my project, and they can be done now. So I'll switch the project to parallel, or uh, like to a to-do list, and I'll add these three actions, and I'll uh, close everything. I see. So that that's how you prevent from being some st- stuck somewhere and doing the next action and having capacity to do five more actions, but you didn't put them in the system. You your review process lets you requeue up multiple potential next actions where it makes sense. Yes, and okay. also because I uh, like when doing action A, I don't necessarily know exactly and precisely what will be the action D. Mm-hmm. four steps down the road. Maybe because as I'm moving forward, the situation will change. But I still keep high-level uh, understanding of the project someplace else as a drawing. And this drawing, it might not be represented as a list. It just may be a mind map. It might be something drawn on a napkin and then taken a photo of. Mm-hmm. That uh, and, and that's not structured, but that's what will help me. Uh, that will what will provide the context and will help me think. 
and for different projects, I, for instance, I can uh, do some context, uh, like planning, random thoughts in a text document, sometimes in a mind map, sometimes in a Word document, sometimes in outline. It, like different projects will have their different uh, representations. And I think in the current console, projects sort of re- projects right now is the only way that I see the what you were talking about earlier is your sort of life bigger bounded context buckets and how I would view them and see those actions related. But as we get more words, um, I, I can see potentially maybe we don't need project or if we replace project with the word, that means show me a list of all the next potential actions related to those 14 bigger, broader bounded contexts I care about in my life, you know, kind of thing. But I don't know what we would call that, but, but I'm starting uh, to understand. Okay. So uh, the initial structure it's maybe like the core way to represent stuff, the way how you would structure your life. And so we can have, I would suggest you use the terminology from OmniFocus as well. So we can have folders. Mm-hmm. Well, basically that's something real world. And inside of the folders, we can have projects. And we can have uh, like nested hierarchy of folders. So I can have a folder for, for instance, for home. And then I can have a folder for personal finances. I can have a folder for car maintenance. And imagine I'm living uh, in such a case that I have multiple cars. So I would have the folder for my like uh, SUV and for my sports car. And then under each of these folders, I might have multiple projects. Like uh, do the tech check, change the oil. I don't know. Right. Okay. okay. Uh, and then, so uh, this is like the default view. And then we can have different understandings, different ways to represent and look at this information. So uh, this can uh, this in essence is perspective, mm-hmm. and perspective is a, or a query where we ask our system for like for not a SQL query but kind of like more domain aware query uh, where we say, "Hey, dear system, what is the next stuff I can do that will help me to push forward my work projects or car projects, or uh, like what is this? What is the stuff I can do at home, or what is the stuff I can do?" That will help me push forward all my work projects, given that I have a phone. Right, exactly. That that's what I would want to be able to do is have a ask the system to show me uh, what I could do based on a specific context or a specific mood I'm in. Like you know, I just feel like making progress on this thing. I don't care about the other stuff right now. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah cool. So uh, projects and folders is how we store and organize stuff, but that's how we would actually track our. Actions, if we were to keep them not in the electronic system, but on the paper. Right. And perspectives are different ways uh, to view this information that would make it more immediately available. For instance, because when I'm on the phone, I don't want to go through each of the projects and look for uh, the next action that is uh, linked to the phone. Right. I would want to have them uh, on the top of my fingers. So that's what perspective would do. Okay. All right. That makes sense. So now where should we head? Uh, tenant. So, oh, the the massive the massive uh, Git update that updated almost every file in the solution. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we as it relates to tenant, uh, we talked about that in previous episodes, and we had um, some people discussing uh, being the worst dot com on that episode about potential names for that and pros and cons. And I think some of those suggestions, Renat, came from different perspectives, and one of them was from the perspective of choosing words that represent the actual individual person, you know, like a boss or something that, you know, that from that, that's one perspective. You could look at the instance of what tenant represented. The other was um, some of the stuff that I was looking around online with what actually David Allen kept saying. And, and I think I wrote a comment in there something about like, he seems to be calling it a trusted system over and over again, or GT or the system, or you need a, one common system. So use system, GTD system, and trusted system. And at least for now, uh, I went in there yesterday because I was sort of done thinking about it and just did a giant replace on tenant to uh, trusted system. So I, I'm curious about what your reaction to, to that was or your thoughts or anything about that. Uh, well, the initial reaction is, oh, duh, it's too long. Mm-hmm. Second reaction was, okay, uh, let's keep it this way and uh, see if Kerry will continue uh, using the word trusted system every time where he, when he talks about the system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you uh, so if the word continues uh, showing up and we continue both using it, trusted system, trusted system, trusted system, and if it keeps on u- being used by other people, mm-hmm. consciously or subconsciously, mm-hmm. or if they start calling it the thing, mm-hmm. 
So if everybody grokks this word, then it's okay. If people start using uh, something else, then maybe it's not the most understandable word. Right. So I think that's a great approach. And I think to frame all of our perceptions on when we're using whatever word we use, as long as we have the definition right of what that is supposed to represent in code, and that, again, is a single instance of the entire getting things done universe for one particular person. Yes. Okay, so that's uh so anyway guys i might actually put in the episode notes so a couple of the links where uh, when i was going through this i'm like okay here in this youtube video is exactly where david allen keeps saying trusted system 50 times and all this stuff so i'm like fine he keeps saying that that's what i'm going to call it so if we end up hating it because i really actually don't like the long uh variable name either but i started to get used to it but i'm not sure and i think as i get more familiar with this approach or not you know with aggregates with event sourcing Mm -hmm. what, what i'm trying to balance is I know that you know six months from now, when this becomes more natural to me, the shorter names uh, and clearer code um, will probably look better and appeal to me. But what I'm trying to also remember is, you know, a year ago or something, when I was looking at some of the other code, that when I don't understand it, when just single letter variable names don't describe anything to me, it's just I was looking to be able to read the code without comments and have the words in my mind describe exactly what's going on without me needing to ever translate what does E mean, what does C mean, and all that stuff. Uh, so for the listeners, this uh, here refers to the one more renaming spree. <laughs> We're here renamed all uh, message handlers, arguments of message handlers. So uh, initially we had, uh, like for instance, an event. Mm-hmm. We uh, everybody would know that it's an event because it's a verb, it's or it's a group of verbs in past tense. It tells you about something that happened. Yes, and f- uh, the before that the method would be called when trusted system created mm-hmm. uh, e, and now it's when trusted system created e v n t. Well, I don't. I really don't like the. I'm really bummed that event is a reserved word in uh, C sharp, so you can't actually spell it out because. But that might be a little long. But I'm saving one letter there. But um, so that was questionable. Like I was, I was wincing when I was typing that in. I'm like, Ugh, I don't like this that much. And then I could see why you used to use the at symbol with the whole word event, and then switch back to e. And the thing that pushed me over the edge was there was actually a a bug. I mean, it's not, it wasn't a bug. There was a a naming difference in our last episode. If you if you look back at that last episode, one of those commits I individually changed first, and it was we had something in a projection that was actually an event, but had the variable name of C. And I'm like, okay, C right oh, there. Oh, oh, that was an error. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. so I mean, but I, I mean, it technically still works. It was just a naming, you know, because you get used to pasting it. And I'm like, well, I guess that's an argument that, you know, C and E could look, you know, whatever. But so I don't know if I'm going to also get going crazy here. But I do know, especially with command, because I think a lot of Windows, p- people that have grown up around Windows and DOS, like, I think most of us that see CMD just see the word command. So I like command CMD better. Yes. Events, questionable. It bugs me that I can't use the word event. But I did find, because I knew that I might catch some crap for this one, because uh, it's really, you do use those letters and those variables all over the place. So it does, you know, I probably added 20% to each code line potentially. Um, so I don't know if that's going to end up being a wise decision. And I was, I thought that might be the one that freaked you out the most. But what I did find, however, is like I'm looking inside of uh, the trusted system app service right now is before, for whatever reason, I don't know if other people do this, but before when I was reading the code, my brain would literally read the sentence when captured dot C, like I would never say command, but now with CMD in there, I, my brain does read it when captured dot command change aggregate, da, 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 da. So I don't know if it's worth it. We'll see, <laughs> but that's why I did it. Does okay. it does it drive your brain crazy? Like I, I'm, I'm always wondering if like what makes my brain happy like scrambles your brain and you're like, what the hell? <laughs> well, uh, I'm really okay with CMD mm-hmm. because uh, from the perspective that it's in, uh, it's indeed more readable, mm-hmm. and also the CMD letter will not or the CMD variable name would not be appearing too much for the code base, but for the events. That all aggregate states. That's all projections, and there are lots of projections. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, in Salescast, I think we have, or the hub, we have at least like twenty projections, mm-hmm. where each projection has five to six uh, event handlers easily. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, twenty multiplied by six, one hundred twenty. So uh, it's either one twenty times type E or one twenty times type EV- EVT. I or see. even more, because in each uh, method handler, you will ha- will have multiple references to the event. 
Well, and when you're using it, because what, I mean, in this simple code base right now that we're not doing a ton, Mm -hmm. when you're looking in the state uh, objects or in the projections where you're using a lot of these events, like, uh, for example, entrusted system state, if I look at the uh, Mm -hmm. one of the events, line 69 or something, when project defined event, projects.add, and then you have a bunch of stuff where you're referencing Mm -hmm. the event message, in your production code, do you find yourself having like more than like five or six things there every time? Where the yep. line gets huge. Uh, you mean like more like, than what? How many properties of the message do you uh, event message do you typically have to reference when you're calling all these? Um, you, there's only like three in the line sixty nine. You know where it's like project ID, pro, project ID outcome. But like in reality, are we usually going to have event dot project ID dot project outcome dot Renat's name dot la, dot 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 dot? You know what I mean? Uh, I'd say four at max, or four or five, like on average max. Because like, if events, they have to be more or less granular, that you don't want to be, them to be fed because that can be an indication that multiple concepts are dumped into that event. I see. So it's not going to, so, because my concern there was that when we really start getting into it, that by adding those three extra letters, that'll add up on that line and that line's going to end up being, you know, scrolling every single time into multi things. But it doesn't sound like, Right now in the current code, it's not take, you know tapering off my screen, but it's just more typing right now. Yes, exactly. The, uh, so I don't uh, worry too much about uh, lines being too long. It's just the typing, uh, like typing event, mm-hmm. E-V-N-T dot E-V-N-T dot E-V-N-T dot. Yeah. It's like if it can be E dot E dot E dot. Yeah. So uh, it'll be interesting. Uh, listeners, give us some feedback because I, I think that from a, if I was trying to say, like, I want to make this more practical to code, and because our events are already, you know, typically things that have happened, you know, you know, project defined sort of by reading it as an event. So it's not that hard to infer that E, um, I see the practicality of it, but um, from a learning perspective, code base, like for our listeners, like, do your brains ever stop or is it like 99% of you like would prefer shorter code? And it just makes sense. Like, I'm just curious, like, what the behavior and habits and preferences are out there. If uh, we're trying to make a learning code base and you're reading it, does it ever confuse your brain or does it always make perfect sense? And we should favor that more practical approach. So, anyway. well, from the coder perspective, I definitely prefer events to be E. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sure that's clear. And and I and I think as we start coding more of it, and I start helping more than you know just reading your code, I'm sure I'll start appreciating that. Uh, even more so. I, I'm keeping an open mind that we might be switching that back to E, but I am curious about the listener feedback on um, when they're reading the code, if that's just blatantly obvious and I'm, we really shouldn't uh, care about that so much. Because I think if you're going to do that, you you can almost argue just to put it back to C as well. I don't know why I'd want... Well, uh, CMDs, uh, they are not used that frequently because ev- with events, we use the events to derive projections. Like a single event can have multiple subscribers. So it will be used in multiple places. With command, by nature, there all will be only one recipient. So CMD as a variable will be used much less frequently as well. I see. Okay. So uh, I'm definitely okay with CMD because I'm typing them only in the application services. Okay. Okay. Is there anything else you wanted to cover in this episode? Let's see. We might, we might as well cover. I mean, there were so many changes. I'm looking through the other ones because if we're talking about all this super detail of the code, like, hey, should we use three characters or four or zero or one? You know, like we might as well uh, point out some of the other mass replaces that I might have done here and uh, maybe some logic behind it so we can get some feedback on there or stuff I wanted to ask you. Oh, actually, one of the big ones because it's all over the place. My understanding, and we haven't gotten into detail too much on. Um, we talked about these concepts. We haven't really drilled into, you know, the firing squad of give me the exact answer or not. Give me the exact answer. And that is the, the really technical differences between aggregate root an aggregate an entity. And, uh, I think those are the only ones that came to mind, but all of those things typically have IDs thrown around with them. Like an, you know, an entity is a thing that has an identity that you care about and a value object uh-huh. doesn't blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. And so, in this approach and every sample that I've seen in locad.ckrs and everything we've done so far, when we do anything with uh, any message, a command or an event, it seems like the first parameter uh, is always the ID of, mm-hmm. and that that ID always represents the unique identifier for the aggregate that this yes. thing is for. Is that yes. always going to be 100% true in our approach? I'd say that is going to be 95% true. Okay. Because we're dealing with 
domain where there is a lot of business logic. And currently, we try to use a silver bullet called aggregates with event sourcing <laughs> to, as a way to capture this business logic. Uh-huh. Uh, and we interact with this uh, captured logic or cap- uh, domain model, whether it's hosted in a local process or somewhere on the internet running an application server. So we use commands and events to interact with that. And when we're interacting with that, we when we're sending a command, we always need to identify which aggregate are we uh, targeting. Mm-hmm. Because this way the system will be able to load uh, the aggregate by its ID from the event store, uh, apply the me- messages, ap- apply the commands, and then when it will save the stuff, uh, the aggreg- aggregate would include his own ID in all events. This way when they're published, we'll know that event called project created is not coming from unknown trusted system. It comes from the trusted, trusted system number two, which is maybe associated with Keras trade. Mm-hmm. And when I look in the trusted system app service, say like line 21 or something, it's just as an example of a command coming in. My assumption when I was sort of looking at this was, okay, here's what I didn't like about it. I didn't like that we had sort of IDs all over the place and some of them were explicit and some of them were just ID and, and I hated having to oh. think like, which one is that? But like project ID, request ID, like those made sense. But, okay. but we did have just ID, and I think the reason you guys might do that is if pretty much this is the style that you use to implement your code, it probably just becomes second nature that you you just know that the first ID of every message is the aggregate ID, so you don't ever think about it anymore. Well, and besides, if the ID is strongly typed, which I highly recommend, and I would probably try to switch like their non-typed IDs that we currently have in the code to strongly typed as well because mm-hmm. I was just being lazy and I didn't want to bother about that right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you have a strongly typed ID, you technically can't, uh, it's like it's hard to put something else. There. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, they're strongly typed, aren't they? Like it's telling me that ID is a trusted system ID. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so so I think you know when I was hovering over with uh, in Visual Studio, it told me exactly what it was. So I think in that case. I, what I was messing with was I was changing all these things to like ag ID so that it would say change aggregate with the aggregate ID of whatever. But then I realized that not only would that be even probably worse than the event renaming because <laughs> that's everywhere, uh, that uh, that it's probably just become second. It'll become second nature, and that's something you just got to accept that we always know every message starts with an aggregate ID. Forget about it, and that's what ID is. That's the most important ID, I guess, arguably. Yes. Yes, so, yes. so miraculously, I'm going to say I'm not going to go in and rename that one. I'm just going to leave that ID. Um, did you freak out about the uh, when I converted the letter A to AGG so I could think of AG and remind myself what this A thing uh, is? <laughs> not much, simply because application service, yeah. it's merely a bootstrapping project. Uh-huh. It doesn't contain business logic, so it's like you can write the stuff there only once, uh-huh. and the real magic happens inside an aggregate, an aggregate state. I see. Oh, yeah, because I'm looking in the state and that... All those ag things don't carry over there. So yeah, so so you, your stress level and panic of my renaming goes down when I'm messing with uh, <laughs> app services and commands, but uh, when state and events, you go like, oh Jesus. Yeah, kind <laughs> yeah. of. Yeah, got it. Okay, cool. I'm always wondering that. All right, uh, let's see. What was the other thing? So we already talked about the aggregate thing. Uh, oh, the last thing I wanted to just one of the other reasons that I made some of the changes that I did was because I was trying to have, I was trying to use a lot less comments because I don't think I really added, I added like two and one of them was like a question. I was trying to move the comments out and have the code explain what the comment used to tell me. And mm-hmm. so for example, I don't know in the, the trusted app service, I went in and my understanding, like if I just boiled down this approach to the three, one of the three most important things I need to understand it, on how this always just works, the pattern. It's we have aggregates that get hosted by application services, mm-hmm. and the application service is the thing that loads up the aggregate we care about and all the events inside the application service is where we kind of get our cloud scalability options if we want it, where you get this you get this contained atomic consistency boundary in the app service. Mm-hmm. And yes. all that magic happens in there. And that's all related to change. And that's the only place it'll change. You, you know, app services calls the methods, the state's the only thing that changes stuff, blah, blah, blah. So I just wanted to make sure that the words I'm using are actually technically correct. That Yes, fair. Okay, cool. I didn't know if, 
my, my fear was that I was changing to the words of methods that like, it wasn't actually doing what I changed the name to. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, so all that stuff that I did in that change aggregate method, that's actually what's going on there. Yes, exactly. Awesome. Then I don't feel guilty about that one because it helps me understand. And, and you, you dodged a bullet inside of the, uh, <laughs> inside of this, which where was it? Where were all the apply methods? Oh, that's in the aggregate itself, right? I almost wanted to change apply, but I'm like, no, you know what? I bet you basically know you're talking about changes now and applying an event really does kind of mean apply the change. So I'm going to actually not rename all the applies right now. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so. Make aggregate realize that. Yeah. Well, I still kept that. I deleted that, but uh, I still have the make aggregate realize somewhere in there, but I kept the apply, you know, on all the uh, above methods. I, I don't well, remember you can, what I had you there. You can always add uh, the comment on top of the me- method. Uh-huh. So saying that this apply thing does uh, something else, so that it, uh, this application actually makes or aggregate realize that the event happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you do that in using the uh, Visual Studio syntax for comments, mm-hmm. like well, I'll do that and I will commit. So when you hover over apply, it will actually show up the more detailed explanation of oh, what right. happens. Yep, that's cool. The words actually make sense though for me right now. But but I again, I'm trying to be sensitive to the the listener who just started listening to episode one right now that doesn't have six months ago or whatever it was perspective on, I'm trying to always keep in mind how lost I might've been on certain things to, to keep that in mind. So like they're, they don't get left behind. Um, last question, I think, and same file in the aggregate itself at the very bottom, there's the apply method. I put it to, aggregate? what's that? Which aggregate? The only aggregate, uh, trusted system aggregate. Okay. Just making sure that uh, you will keep using the word. <laughs> oh, nice. I like the test on the language there, man. Yeah, in the trusted system aggregate at the very bottom, I wanted to double check what exactly was happening there, like what's really happening and if the order matters because in the factory we had the, those two lines interchanged actually. Here, order doesn't matter because we're applying only a single event. It doesn't matter if we update the aggregate first and then add the event to the change list or uh, add the event to the change list and then update the aggregate. Simply because this method and this code is executed in a single thread, and until this method finishes, nothing else is going to happen. Okay. And guys, I forgot to mention where I was. At the bottom of trusted aggregate, there's the actual implementation of the applied method that we were just talking about earlier, and that's where the aggregate is applying the event that just happened. I wrote a comment there to just ask or not, like a homework question, basically. In one case you're telling the state object about these events that happened. And in the other, you're updating the list inside of the aggregate itself with the events that happened. And in the factory, we actually did those two things in a different order. So I was just wondering uh, why it doesn't matter. And uh, mm-hmm. that's what Renat's explanation was. So in the current order on line 79, where it's aggregate state dot make state realize new event that happened. And actually I don't want to assume this. I want to, I want to make sure I know exactly what's going on. So the application service, uh, receives a command. It calls the method on the aggregate that does the work inside said method. At the end of that method, so like define project, it's, you know, app services calls the define project method on the trusted system aggregate. It does whatever define project supposed to do with that command message. And at the end of all of our methods in the aggregate, there's apply. I'm assuming that in reality, all the real work has happened when the method's executing, like Technically, in memory, the work is done because that's what the method's job is. Mm -hmm. And then the apply method is just to make the aggregate list itself inside that object and its corresponding state object aware of the work that just was completed. Uh, Yes. So anytime when we want to leave a track of what happened, Mm -hmm. uh, we do that. And by doing that, first, we change our internal state. So if we have multiple methods... Or if the method does record multiple events. So after we apply the first event, mm-hmm. uh, the state would be updated as well. So I guess what I was trying to get at and understand was that technically in the RAM of the computer, there is potential inconsistency that the work of the method has been performed. Memory in RAM has actually done the work and the state has changed there, but it's not made official like the state object has no idea about the work that really already happened until we tell it about it, and neither does the event store until we tell it about it. Absolutely. So if the shotgun comes in before apply successfully happens, 
the RAM at that instant was actually in a different state, but it, we sort of forget about it unless apply is successful. Absolutely. And so if shotgun happens, then uh, the system is trashed. Then this means that the command that was initially called was not successful. Mm. That uh, So if we were talking about uh, queues, command stored in the queues, that means that the command will not be acknowledged as consumed from the queue. So every, uh, uh, the next time when the system starts, it will see the same command. Okay, so uh, that's where I continue. That's right. Okay, that's where we get our protection from the, with the queues and the commands because when apply fails, we the command also fails with it and thus we start it over. Cool. Absolutely. And if we have uh, the application server service hosted not... Uh, only as a message consumer, but as a remotely callable service. So then, when if we're calling this method on application service, it calls in it in turn loads the aggregate state from the event store, then calls the method on the aggregate that uses the aggregate state. And if at some point the thing blows up and the RAM is lost, this means that the calling uh, calling executing code it will get timeout or this uh, like internal server error back. So it will know that the uh, application service and aggregate they didn't complete executing as well i see and this uh i should really think about this question before i just blurt it out well off the top of my head because this is going to potentially come out really stupid but i'm just going to let it roll out the tongue here mm-hmm. so when i look at the app service as kind of doing that change management and it's our consistency boundary like it's it's the way we make sure that all the work is done or not basically mm-hmm. it either all happens or it doesn't mm-hmm. um if the app service is always just loading up the current all the events and then at the end of that call, it's just writing the appending the events back to the stream. And then the next call, the app service, if we call the exact same thing, it's going to load up all the events again. Why do we even have an object that's keeping track of state? If, like, is that because if you're going to do multiple events, you're going to have state already loaded in memory that you could manage of or something? Well, and also imagine that you have a method that uh, is based on the previous state. For instance, we have mm. uh, two methods, one called a defined project, and yep. then uh, define an action. And uh-huh. uh, we, when we define an action, we define an action inside a project for the project. So if the project doesn't exist, then we'll have to blow up. Oh, I see. It's, the, it's so that while you're doing an atomic action with five steps in it that have preconditions, the only way that your aggregate knows about preconditions being met is with the aggregate state. Yes, uh, uh, there is other way. Uh, like aggregate would know its history, mm-hmm. so we can it can query the history mm-hmm. uh, by looking. Okay, did this happen? Or if this happened, uh, like we should uh, ignore all the cases where this didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of complicated way to query the history. So instead, we project all the events into the state, and we can op- work it with it like an object. I see. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, I think that was it, man. Okay. Uh, the homework for this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, would be to try adding define action for a project, adding the console command, for instance, and also adding a view that would allow to list all actions inside a project. Uh, basically, implement action fully to be able to add an action with the console and then... Define see an action. Oh, define an action, okay. That's what David Allen uses. Oh, okay. A define next action, I guess. Well, uh, define next action, uh, basically, that's true. If we have only, if we allow only one action per project, yeah. Oh, but, well, uh, I was going to ask you about that actually because he really all over the book. He's all about quote next action, but you could have a bunch of actions, but only at one state, one point in time, it's actually the next action. I didn't know if like we would capture the object as an action, and then that object can take on the attribute of being next. Is that what's going to end up happening? Uh, well, uh, I wouldn't say that we will have an explicit attribute, mm-hmm. but while doing the perspective, while doing the query, uh, we will always be able to know which action is the next for a project. Okay, okay. All right, so uh, be able to define an action with the console and then be able to uh, use the console to list out all actions. All actions of the project, yes. Of the project. What if an action hasn't been associated with the project? Uh, I'd say we don't allow that. Well, uh, basically, if an action is standalone, it can go to miscellaneous project. If you have something standalone, uh, what's the point uh, of it? What help? What does it help to achieve? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it could just be take out the trash, I guess. But that's one of those. Well, actually, that's one of those two-minute, you know, just do it right now actions. But I guess it would come into my inbox as I need to take out the trash. When I'm processing it, I could do it in two minutes or less. So I'm just going to do it. So does it ever become an action? Mm, well, maybe if you have something bigger. Mm-hmm. 
for instance, uh, finisher renovation, mm-hmm. which involves actually trashing all the stuff. Yeah, I'm looking at the workflow on page 32 of the book to see if he says, is it actionable? Yes. What is, what's the next action? The next action would be take out the trash. Will it take less than two minutes? Yes, just do it. So I guess technically the thought in my inbox did become an action. It's just a short one, so I do it. So yeah. I don't know. I don't know how that well, it. Well, uh, and also here's, here's come the difference. So technically, all actions, if they're not even assigned to a project, they can still reside in some list. Yes. So if we, instead of this uh, using define a project, we would use the term define list. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, it, would, it would not uh, be a mental block for you to say that uh, each action always have to go to a list. True. Correct. And certain lists, can, they can represent certain project type. Yes. Or yeah. there, there can be simply lists of actions. Mm-hmm. And, which, and th- their actions, they can done, be done in any order. Or if this action uh, is represented as a sequential project, then in this case, the action has to be done one after another. Yes. Did you so, see oh, how Renat's getting back to his original point at the beginning, folks? <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> well, just trying to what's the word? Uh, explain the situation using the words that try to make sense and to see if uh, it sticks. Yeah, it's it's getting close. I think I think you keep working that political campaign and it might sink in because I think I'm converting over. All right, man. Well, uh, so guys, there's a bunch of code changes, lots of renames, and uh, hope you enjoy that we're actually starting to implement some stuff uh, for those of you that aren't so huge on theory and all that stuff, but it's really important, so you should really care. But uh, go have fun with it. Check it out. See what your feedback is on those console commands, and could you see yourself actually using it? If not, why? What doesn't make sense? And uh, let us know what you think. Where you are at beingtheworst.com. Please leave your comments there. Uh, at being the worst on Twitter, and uh, I think that'll do it. Okay, thanks, folks. Talk to you soon. Bye. See you. Bye.